Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Now, today we are talking about creating a little bit of harmony in your environment mixed in with a bit of humor with my guest, Pam Furtabar. And Pam has spent many years in the entertainment world and directed commercials for a company such as Microsoft, Wells Fargo, uh, Bally's, IT&T, and more. She is also a member of the Writers Guild of America, the Directors Guild of America, and the Coalition uh, for Photographic Arts in Milwaukee, where Pam serves as President and Exhibitions and Events Chair. Now, Pam has a book out uh, called uh, Feng Shui. Feng Shui. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Funjoy and Charlotte Nightingale, which is the story of a girl with the worst luck in the world, sort of like my speech today. Um, I'm excited to spend a little time with Pam today, and I welcome her to the show uh, because this is the second time we've tried to do this, and I thank her for her patience. So, Pam, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you so much. I'm so happy <laughs> to be here. <laughs> I know, finally, right? <laughs> I should have thought of that as a title. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's my language, baby. <laughs> All right. Then you just capped it off with the Charlotte Nightingale. I'm like, okay, can my tongue wrap itself around this anymore? Okay. So how you doing today, Pam? I am just great, Lana. How How are you? Awesome, wonderfully well, no complaints at all, and, and I thank you so much for your patience. I had a little issues there, and you came back and uh, hung out with me uh, today, so I, I appreciate your flexibility uh, with my scheduling there. No problem. Happy to be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, um, you know, I, I tend to uh, nose around and poke my uh, myself in uh, my guest website and stuff, trying to figure out everything about them as I prepare for the show, so I did that with you, and I was... Uh-oh. Roaming all over your website there, and I see in your bio that uh, you're from Wisconsin and that you're an only child like me, you know, hoo-hoo to the only children. Uh, But uh, I I have found growing up as an only child that that kind of sparks or maybe enhances the creativity uh, in us as individuals. Um, Did you you have that kind of similar impact on your life, being an only child? I believe so. I mean, it. Uh, I was very close to my cousins. We we all virtually lived together when I was really small. But at the end of the day, it still was me and my mom and dad. You know, even whoever lived in the house upstairs, my grandma, whatever. And there, when I was really small, there were not a lot of children in the neighborhood. So that combined with being an only child, you know, you just find inventive ways of entertaining yourself. And for me, I had an invisible friend. Uh, and um, I, I, I kind of feel like I still do. I mean, Charlotte <laughs> is my new invisible friend. And so I, I can only guess that going back to that, I found a way of inventing characters that amused me. And I kind of clung to that. And so that's, I still feel that way when I'm writing. Like, Charlotte felt so real to me. Like, she actually had some meat on her bones, Mm -hmm. you know, blood running in her veins. And to this day, I could draw you a picture of my little imaginary friend when I was a child. His name was Daka. And he was like a furry brown penguin with no arms. (laughs) 
big brown eyes and and he was just this like little cloaked figure and he even now i mean i i can feel him like in my heart that he's just so real uh-huh. and charlotte is like that she's she's a girlfriend Awesome, 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 awesome. Some some parents are kind of um, intimidated when children, you know, bust out with these imaginary friend uh, <laughs> creatures, you know. But I read that your parents were so cool with it and kind of uh, embraced your your mindset with it, and and they created, you know, place settings at the table for them and everything. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And they <laughs> and my mother had to pretend. I mean, at the time, I didn't even think she was pretending, but he ate something called mugger. <laughs> It was like, I don't know if I thought he was from another planet or what, but it was some kind of gruely type thing. But, you know, I remember as a kid and very cold here in, in Wisconsin in the in the winters, we would eat um, cream of wheat, you know, farina. Yeah. And oh, God, I hated it. And <laughs> but for some. So he was probably like my little alter ego because his gruel, this mugger that he ate in my imagination was very similar to cream of wheat. So. <laughs> But my mom would cook it for him. It was all imaginary, but we had to set a place for him at the table and and tuck him in with me at night. And uh, he was my best buddy. <laughs> Kudos to mom and dad. I can only imagine the conversations after they tucked you in and went to bed like, oh, our child is never going to make it. She's really I know. She, <laughs> I, I wonder. I've never talked to them about it. Because now, you know, when I was um, – a kid, there wasn't so much attention paid to like the psychological well-being. Yeah. And, you, know, you heard a lot, you know, well, why should I do this? Because I told you so. And you were like, okay. And now it's all this like, oh, self-esteem and, you know, the children yes. should be la, 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 la. So, yes, kudos to my parents because there was no psychologist that told them that allowing me to run with my imaginary friend would kindle or inspire creativity in me. I think they just love me so much. They were like, well, it seems, it seems to make her happy, you know. <laughs> She's not bothered. She's not harming anybody, you exactly. know. What does this hurt? So so what? We set an extra bowl at the table at night. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> they indulge that. So. No problem. Awesome. Now, you know, with, uh, you know, the um, – contributions of your parents, you know, kind of, you know, embracing and allowing you to, you know, groom this imaginary lifestyle or whatever. Um, it's, it's natural to see how writing and journalism, um, you know, kind of found its way into your life. Now, I'm curious, when, when did you start writing? Because I know you, you went to college for journalism, correct? Mm-hmm. When I was about 10 years old, um, maybe even a little younger. My my father's a photographer, and okay. he was an advertising photography, commercial photographer, and he had a, a pretty big studio. And one of his um, employees was a young man that I just was crazy about, and he was a real free thinker. I mean, a hippie. I guess you'd mm-hmm. say he was a hippie. And he and I had such a crush on him, <laughs> and he teased me for listening to what he called bubblegum pop. You know, I mean, you know, boy bands, whatever. Yeah. And he was telling me what I should be listening to. And so, of course, you know, I would on the I, w- I went there always after school. Um, I worked since the time I was really small. I'd sweep up the floors or whatever. And then on the way home after work, I would ask my dad, can we listen to such and such a radio station? And there was Bob Dylan. Ah. And 
it wasn't the voice. It wasn't even really the music. Those words just my, it was like the imaginary friend thing. My, my imagination just exploded with the worlds you could create by just putting ordinary words together in a certain way. And I was obsessed with that. Absolutely obsessed with that. I started trying to write poems and lyrics and, and I could write and write and write and write and write and just realize how differently an intention would be um, from using the exact same words but switching up the order of them. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it just became, that's how my brain started working. I, it just, I just became obsessed with it. And, and then with Bob Dylan and then shortly thereafter, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones, and it all went to hell. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I was lost cause of that. So tell me, I'm trying to picture this, Pam. You've got this 10-year-old, you know, young lady who's found her way in writing, who's still, you know, one hand dragging along this imaginary friend who, you know, I don't know, looks like some armless penguin. (laughs) And you're, you're in Wisconsin. You're in Wisconsin. um, I mean, how, how is that? Growing up for you in Wisconsin, because you know I'm a big city girl, so I'm just I'm oh. trying to package this all together. <laughs> Growing up in Wisconsin was all of this um, looked on, you know, favorably. You know, when you went to school, or were they like Pam's that little weird girl growing up? Or yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was pretty weird, but I think um, my parents never talked baby talk to me, and I. I was liked at school. I wasn't um, popular. I mean, I didn't, I had, you know, friends, whatever. But, yes, I was kind of odd, but <laughs> the adults always quite liked me. Um, and I don't want to say precocious, because that to me always sounds like a kind of bratty uh-huh. and or like a little bratty brainiac, and I, I wouldn't portray myself as that. But I was, I always enjoyed speaking to the adults, more than um, <laughs> so much the, the children because I they would help me find a way to articulate what what was in my head and because I didn't have the tools yet as a little child to be able to express what I was feeling and that's when where the writing sort of started to kick in but I was able to sit down with adults and and they were, you know, and they could see me like struggling to to try to explain what, what this emotion was that I was trying to describe or whatever. And they would help give me the tools. So they gave me books of poetry to read and they, they got kind of excited to see a kid, I think who was, who was sort of thinking outside the, the, the box a little bit. And so they, just like my parents, they fostered that creativity with me. And I, you know, I don't know if I'd grown up in a big city, how differently things might have gone. You know, it's like people say, is it true? Blondes have more fun. I don't know. If you have never been a blonde, how would you know? That's true. That's true. I, I true. like to think the brunettes have more fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never been a blonde, so I couldn't tell you for sure. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, um, just relating back to you know not having you know the baby talk and how it increases your you know array of words that you use you know me growing up being an only child I don't know if you you know my parents for the most part ended up being my best friends those were the, the people that I spent the bulk of my time with so you know you end up um being a little bit more mature verbally 
you know, yes. because you're, you're talking back and forth to adults all the time. So, you know, I, I can understand, you know, that the vastness of your vocabulary just outnumbers, outweighs, you know, outshines, you know, some of your counterparts of your same age. So I, I can totally relate to that. And I think that also kind of um, fosters an emotional vocabulary that can be beyond your years because yes. you start thinking in um more mature concepts, you know, because you yeah. have you have more words to choose from. So, you know, at this point, my parents, I'm sure, by the time I hit the teen years, were like, "Oh, God, what? God. What did we do? What did we do?" <laughs> yeah, she's you know, 13, going on 40. So, uh, you know, <laughs> who is this monster we create? <laughs> oh, I heard that, and I, uh, the other thing I heard a lot was, "Oh, I hope someday you have a child." Just like you. <laughs> <laughs> my mother, she takes great delight in that. Now I just come and I sit on the porch with my mom and I'm like, oh, mom, I apologize for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Pam, hold on. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Today I'm hanging out with Miss Pam Furtabar, and uh, she is the author of the, and I'm going to let her say the name of the book because I'm not going to mess it up again. So, Pam, say the title, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Feng, Shui. Feng Shui and Charlotte Nightingale. Feng Shui and Charlotte Nightingale. Okay, I'll probably wake up in the middle of the night like, ah, I got it. You'll never. You'll be thinking about that now forever. Feng Shui and Charlotte Nightingale. <laughs> so Pam, after you um, finish up college, um, uh, let me say right now before I let everybody, I commend you because I, I don't think I have the mental patience to do what you did. Uh, uh, my father, I love him to death, but I just don't think I could be in his company like that. But you went to work with your dad after college. Um, how How is that to keep it in the family, so to speak? Oh, it had tremendous rewards and was also really, really challenging. Um, you know, my parents to this day will often lament the fact that they taught me to think for myself. <laughs> you know, that's a real double-edged sword, especially then when you go to work with, with your yeah, family. Yeah. So there was, um, you know, and, and especially when you're young, you, you really do think you know everything. And you know a lot of stuff, and maybe you know some stuff that your parents don't know just because you've just come out of school where there's all that new innovations and technology and whatever, but the stuff you don't know is the way of the world. And how no matter how much technology and innovation changes, people stay the same. So we came to blows, you know, over <laughs> that kind of stuff. But for the most part, um, there was always a real healthy respect between us. And I like to think that the main reason my dad respected me so much is because that he saw I was so much like him. Um, well, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to, like, hate someone, or I want to say hate, that's a strong <laughs> but to get really ticked off at someone who's looking back at you, and it's almost like you're looking in the mirror, you know? <laughs> so, but it was, you know, it had its its moments. It was a lot of, um, you know, it's just, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of family all the time. <laughs> all the time. So, yeah. 
you, you said your dad was advertisement, but the photography side. So I'm curious, what exactly did you do with your dad when you graduated from college? Well, he, well, I started out as the receptionist okay. at the studio. Um, I went on to become a sales rep because we had five still photographers. You know, we had a food shooter, a sheet metal shooter, a fashion shooter, you know, okay. and a full. And at the time, it, it wasn't digital. So we had a black and white lab, a color lab. We got into video and film production. So I was a sales rep. Um, I was an assistant. Um, then when we got into film and video, I was a production assistant, and then I kind of worked my way up to being an associate producer, and then a producer, and then I started directing commercials. Awesome. And that's when and I had some some nice success with that. The first commercial I ever directed um, won a spot on the Clio All Star Reel, and the Clio is the Oscar of okay. commercials. And then I decided I wanted to tell bigger stories than just 60 seconds, and I up and moved to Los Angeles. Okay, so that was uh, 1994. Yeah. So, so yeah. you wanted to you wanted to play with the big play the big boys in the big league. So that's that's why you moved to Los Angeles. I that's exactly right. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, uh, coming to Los Angeles, everything could go wrong. You know, it's this, it's a city of uh, waitresses who are there to be actresses, and you know, yep. I'm going to make it big, and you know, it's it's the land of dreams, you know. But anything can go wrong. But you you had you had some wonderful uh, success and and opportunities and and memories from what I'm I'm reading. Uh, when you got to Los Angeles, you kind of fell in love there, right? I I did. I I like to think of it as I fell off the turnip truck, <laughs> and he saw that. And then, um, yeah, yeah, I, uh, fresh yeah. meat, fresh meat. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, but it all. All for, for me, the way um, I have and, you know, I mean, there were yeah wonderful times. I made wonderful, wonderful friends. I was there for 20 years, okay. um, you know, peaks and valleys, mostly toward the peak side. I especially had such wonderful friends. I mean, people I miss dearly. But um, as the millionaire matchmaker would say, I have a really bad picker <laughs> and um, I have made choices based on all the wrong criteria. So. When things started unraveling and, and falling apart and, oh, geez, this was a huge mistake. And that's not the only mistake I've made. I mean, there have been tons of them. I tend to find a way to turn that into humor somehow in my head. I guess that's my um, mental health. That's how I self-soothe or I cope or whatever. It's not um, with medication or I don't, you know, going to a psychiatrist, although I think that's all wonderful. Um, I tend to just kind of go, well, you know what? This is really kind of funny because geez, you were a dumb shit. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that all of that stuff is kind of what again gave me this. And that's why I was saying it's, it's my mental health age. Charlotte came to the rescue and I could dump all the stuff that I felt about, having made bad choices and which kind of can make you feel like a loser and all that onto her and then redeemed myself and made myself feel better by helping her dig out of her life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just like being 10 years old again and listening to Bob Dylan, 
what yeah. words have a transformative power. They they just absolutely do. So in a nutshell, that was twenty years. <laughs> you know, listening to you talk, you know, one of the things I, I just really appreciate just hearing you say, you know, you, you seem to be able to just willing to, to admit like Pam you know what Pam you just screwed that whole thing up you know oh. but you know what we're going to laugh about it and we're going to you know p- keep pushing forward you know a lot of people don't want to like look in the mirror and say you know you know what that w- that was me that was really me you know so I, I just it's very refreshing you know for somebody to hear somebody say yeah you know I, I know I kind I kind of screwed that up that that was me that was me but you know <laughs> we're going to keep well, pushing in this in the in that particular relationship i mean you know a lot of unfavorable things happen and and i you know so many times my friends are like wow you know aren't you angry at him don't you hate him and i honestly have to say nope i can't even be mad at him because i'll tell you something he never changed Mm. he at the end was the exact same person that i hooked up with you know, that I chose, yeah. I changed and decided, geez, I don't like this anymore. I don't, I have don't, I've lost respect for this person. I'm not, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. And it doesn't do any good to mm-hmm. be like that SOB, I hate that guy or, or wish someone ill because, as I said, he didn't do anything. I mean, I chose, it's like if you're going to go out with, you know, Mussolini or I don't yeah. know, Ayatollah, I mean, <laughs> you get what you pay for. <laughs> if you're going to go out with a jerk, you know, you're going out with a jerk. Know what you're going yeah. out with, right? <laughs> exactly. So, and the other thing is that I've learned, and it's a little bit off topic, but we, I was just talking to a friend about this the other day is when, now, ladies, listen up. <laughs> if you meet a man and he just seems like the hottest thing, on the globe, and he says, oh, you know what, baby, I'm a bad man. Believe him! That's Believe right. Him. He's not lying to you. <laughs> He's doing you what he telling you. He's telling you, you know, these women, you know, it, it, we're going to get back on, but I'll finish this off here. But, you know, you know, have a lot of girlfriends that say, oh, you know, he says he doesn't want a relationship, but, you know, he's so nice to me. And, you know, like two years later, they're still in this limbo thing. And, I'm, well, he told you two years ago he didn't want yes. a relationship. Did you not think that maybe that was the truth? Yes, you know absolutely. I don't think generally people are dishonest. I think they... They tell you, and we just interpret it the way we want to, you know, but that never works out really well. One of the good things that happened from all of this, you know, because I'm a softie at heart, so I I enjoyed reading this about you, is you said that um, you developed this habit for picking up stray dogs, um, I guess, during that time period. (laughs) You know, and that touched my head. (laughs) <laughs> that touched my heart because I, you know, I am all for, you know, going to the shelter to, you know, uh, pick out an animal or whatever. So, you know, was that like also part of the therapy? You just started adopting dogs or, or, or what? Oh, I've always, okay. um, you know, DACA was not human. So <laughs> let's just say I've always preferred animals. Um, my preference, my drug of choice is dogs <laughs> to, to most people. So, yeah. And I mean, I must say that was a wonderful quality that um, my ex-husband had is he was a softy heart that way as well. And like uh, one holiday, it was at Christmas time. He and my stepkids went out to get a Christmas tree and they returned with a pit bull that they had found on the freeway. 
And um, we had two other dogs at the time, and we were, you know, all the things you hear about pit bulls, and and you know, I was very concerned that he would number one take out take out the stepkids, <laughs> or kill one of the other dogs. And you know, it's such it really is a lovely breed. And he, the dog, was a total ambassador for the breed. He didn't have a mean bone in his body. He would let the other dogs take food out of his mouth. He just totally changed my mind on on the breed of pit bull and I started advocating for them because I started doing research and uh, I, I would have a pit bull again in a second you know I moved back to Wisconsin to help my my folks out my mom has uh, broken her back oh wow and yeah they're they're a little up there in years and um, all of my dogs passed away at roughly the same time, which was horrible. And I kept thinking, my ex-husband will live forever. (laughs) It's not right. (laughs) I can't have a pit bull now because I can't have a big dog um, that my mom might, you know, they are, they, they bowl you over. They are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a Rottweiler and and her thing was, she'd, she'd walk beside me, but I think in her playing, you know, she's like, I don't realize I'm 150 pounds. Like, you know, here, let me knock you over. And I'm like, yeah. okay, lady. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know what I mean. At a certain point, you know, it's like, well, that's okay. But I look at my, my folks and, you know, someone yeah, could they can't get take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they can't take it. Pam, hold on a minute for me. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. And like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and today I am hanging out with Pam Furderbar. And Pam, say the title of your book for me, please. Feng Shui and Charlotte Nightingale. All righty, all righty. I'm going to come back and do another interview with you in about six months, and I promise you I'm going to have it down. I'm going to have it down. <laughs> By that time, you probably have three more titles out were more perplexing titles for me to say. <laughs> and you're working on a, on a, on a sequel. So, <laughs> Thank you very much, Pam. I truly appreciate it. <laughs> Make it easy. Make it easy for those. Okay. Um, but uh, you wrote this book in uh, 1998. It's about four years after uh, you got to Los Angeles. And Charlotte Nightingale, she's a, hmm, a kind of oddball kind of character. It seems like life never shines its light on her. Um, how did you? What sparked the What sparked the creation of this young lady? Well, um, well, it started out as a short story, and what had happened was I was watching the news one night and they did a feature story on feng shui and how it had just exploded in Los Angeles and huge corporations, you know, Kaiser Permanente, Sony Pictures, the Disney Corporation were hiring feng shui practitioners not only to do landscaping and work on the exterior spaces of existing buildings and campuses, but to work with architects when they were building new buildings. So I thought, feng shui, what the, you know, what is that about? And started doing research about it. And just, you know, some of it, when I was just beginning, you know, I knew hardly anything about it, just in a perfunctory sense. Mm -hmm. A lot of it just seemed like common sense, like clutter bad, you know? Yeah. (laughs) You have to make 
ass through your house. This is, you know, you're probably not going to be the most successful, you know. So, but then I started digging deeper and deeper and deeper, and it was like the Bob Dylan thing. I became like a little bit obsessed with it, and I literally woke up in the middle of the night one night and felt the presence of this character. And it was like she tugged on my sleeve. She said, go downstairs, get the computer, write this down. I'm going to tell you a story. Mm. And I wrote this short story in six days. And, yeah, and then, um, you know, like little miracles started to happen. I gave it to everybody I knew and said, if you like this, you know, if you know anyone on the film side or on the book side, because it wasn't... It was just a short story. It wasn't a book. It wasn't a script. But it was this story. And I there was some magic on those pages because, um, well, and I guess then I, I, I went back to it after a few days and spent a couple of months and it turned it into, I think it was like 42 pages. And that's when I started handing it out to people that I knew. And uh, lo and behold, a bidding war broke out uh, at all the big studios for the film rights to this thing. Mm. So that was truly remarkable because we set a record for the sale of an unpublished manuscript by an unknown author. Um, sold the film rights for $800,000. And then, so you get half of that. And then um, all of my executives at New Line, which was a company that bought the, the film rights, Shortly thereafter, were um, let go in one of these Black Friday scenarios because oh, they were wow, bought wow. out by Time Warner or AOL or one of those. And um, so it was just just <laughs> like Charlotte, you're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. <laughs> and then the, all the new people that came in wanted they brought in their own projects and they didn't want to be saddled with you know what someone else had brought in, and it got shelved. And I kind of forgot about it. And then uh, shortly before I decided to. to Moved back to Wisconsin. I was cleaning out some hard drives and files, and I got a new computer. And I thought, oh, you know, they were so crazy about this story. Um, I want to revisit this. And once again, you know, the lightning struck twice, and Charlotte came back. And she said, all right, let's make this a book. And I wrote it as a novel, a full-length novel. Then I moved back to Wisconsin and again, kind of forgot about it because the move back and getting organized with my parents and where's my stuff going to, you know, what am I, all of that. And again, like cleaning out some files and figure out what I'm going to do. I, I reread it. And that same day, there was an article on the front page of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel about a, a Wisconsin publisher who mostly publishes self-help, um, that kind of stuff, but selects one or two fiction titles a year that she really throws herself into. And I sent a query letter, an email, and oddly enough, she emailed me back the same day, said, send me the first five chapters, which is what everyone always does. I did. And that night she emailed me and she said, I really want to publish this book. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think that there is a little bit of Charlotte in every woman. <laughs> Probably in every person, but again, I've never been a man, so I'm not sure. Well, but, well Pam, let me pause you right there. Exactly, explain what a Charlotte moment is. Give us a little bit more about the Charlotte character. What is a Charlotte moment? Well, a Char- okay, so I'm sure you can think back to 
probably for me it happens on a daily basis but maybe you're lucky and it only happens to you once or twice a year but something so absurd happens like you know you you're walking out the front door to your wedding the door locks behind you you realize oh god i've forgotten the bouquet they've already left with the house keys you go to run after the car the heel snaps off your shoe <laughs> you fall into you know i mean it's just okay yeah those are charlotte moments um, and I have a lifetime of them. I mean, a lot of them revolve around um, internet dating. <laughs> <laughs> You're still trying. You're a trooper. I commend you oh, for that. I don't know if I'm a trooper or an idiot, but <laughs> and there's a lid for my pot out there somewhere, Lana. <laughs> Send them your way, right? Send them your way. If you could vet them somehow, though, I cannot tell you how much I'd appreciate that. But, so our dear Charlotte, from the moment she wakes up in the morning until her head hits that pillow at night, her life is end-to-end Charlotte moments. Okay. You know, like she gets the shampoo. She's in the shower, and she gets her hair all lathered up, and the water cuts off. Um, she doesn't just have a hoopty car. She's on her way to work, and the car blows up. Um, she doesn't just have a kind of a sleazy boyfriend who steals her rent money um, because he's a Frank Sinatra impersonator. There's not a lot of work for him. Um, he, it turns out, also brings uh, rather unsavory young ladies back to Charlotte's apartment when she's not there. Um, yeah, she doesn't just have a crappy job, but then she gets fired from her crappy job. I mean, she doesn't just have the perfect, gorgeous, blessed, the sun always shines on sister. Her sister is now engaged to a plastic surgeon from Beverly Hills. I <laughs> just... I ate my life. I ate my life. <laughs> Every, but from, it's just nonstop. Uh-huh. And the, and her apartment is the poster child for bad feng shui. It's cluttered. There are dead plants. I mean, you know how sometimes you walk into an office or someone's home and you just immediately feel relaxed and comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's the result of good feng shui, of energy flowing easily through through the space, but sometimes you walk into a place and you just like, ooh, you get the heebie-jeebies kind of. It's just, that's usually the result of bad feng shui, where things are just arranged in the room that gives you either a feeling of claustrophobia or anxiety or whatever it is. Well, all of those negative things occur in Charlotte's apartment. And there's a lovely Chinese food delivery man named Quan who brings her food and when she opens the door and he sees her apartment he's just because he's also a feng shui practitioner so he immediately ascertains that she is a wreck just the way she looks when he answers the door i mean she's been in the shower and the soap and the it cut off so she answers the door with like the soap running down her head you know and it's drying and she's scratching you know and she's got welts i mean so he starts delivering food to her that she has not even ordered just so that well and she's so beat down by life she's like whatever and she goes to look for the money to pay him she's always broke so she's in the back of a closet like trying to find the crumpled singles and the quarters from the old handbag she's doing that he kind of creeps in and he moves things around just a little bit to try to make her life a little better 
and it appears to have the result of making her life even worse. Hmm. But it's not like she, you know, she knows that her boyfriend's stealing money from her, but she finds um, a Polaroid picture under her bed of him in bed with another girl, and it's her own bed. <laughs> you know? So, and this is the next day, like, her, as I said, her hoopty car doesn't just have the smoke and it breaks down all the time. It, like, literally bursts into flames. I mean, and, but the, the thing is, her perspective is so bad that all these things, yeah, oh, my God, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. But in reality, she needed to find out about the boyfriend so she could yes. cut him loose. She needed to get on that bus instead of in that car because on the bus she meets someone who will set in motion a chain of events that will change Charlotte's life. She needs to get fired from this dead-end, god-awful job where she's working with these terrible crooks at this car dealership so that she has a day off for the first time and has the time to embark on this adventure. And through all of this seemingly bad stuff, she begins to discover she likes herself. And she's, she's going to stop letting people walk all over her. And it's with that realization that she looks up and says, geez, those clouds are rain clouds. She looks up and says, oh, aren't those clouds beautiful and white and puffy? I love this sunny day. And that's when her luck changes. So it's a matter of perspective. If you always see the glass as half empty, I so firmly believe this, you know, and you're always looking down at your feet like, oh, everything is crap. That's when the birds poop on your head. You know? <laughs> It really is. I just, I think if you, and it's like the ex-husband thing, you know, mm-hmm. there was a reason all that stuff happened. And, um, you know, some, some, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Some good came out of it. Number one, I got divorced. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it opened a lot of doors um, afterwards for me, just, you know, climbing out from under that rock. So, that's kind of the message of the book, you know, is is if you can just shift your perspective a little bit, you will feel better. And the, as soon as you feel better, you I swear we must behave in a different way and it invites good luck. So that's, that's what I think anyway. All about perception. You know, I tell people and, you know, people get irritated because, you know, when people are miserable and they're having bad moments, they want to they want to immerse themselves in that bad moment and you know i'm always oh you know well you know we're here for a reason and there's something you know let's look at the positive and why what you know this is happening and they're yeah. all shut shut up lana shut up but, <laughs> you know, but you know there's so much truth in that you know like you're stuck in traffic because you know maybe if you were where you wanted to be there's an accident that you might have been involved in or whatever but there's always a reason why you're where you're at and you know just just sit in it and, and, and let whatever unfold and you'll see the beauty of what was supposed to happen. So um, I, tro- I totally understand where Charlotte was at. We're going to take our last commercial break of the day. We'll be right back with Pam right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. It's Lana Reed and Back to Don't Box Me In. Today I'm having a wonderful time hanging out with Pam Ferdebar. She has written a book title, Feng Shui and Charlotte Nightingale. Look at me now. Look at me now. Look this at is me. me crying. <laughs> <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> I said it. I said it. 
45 minutes. <laughs> awesome. So let me ask you this. Now, after writing the book and all this time, do you actually practice that in your own life? I do. I do. To an extent. Uh-huh. Um, again, just because I've read so much about it, some of it is kind of second nature to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always been, I have, ugh. now, oh my God, I caught what you have. I know. I, <laughs> At least I'm not the only one. Somebody's going to suffer with me. <laughs> I'll see you at the meeting. Um, I, I can't stand clutter and I just automatically know when I walk into a room that certain things are off. You know, it just the way it makes me feel. So, but there are little things I do. I mean, I've got my little Chinese coins tied together with the red threads, the little eternity knots in the right places. And, um, yeah, I try to be mindful of it because, you know, I mean, they've been doing this for over 4,000 years, 5,000 years in China. You know, they can't can't be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Something's working. Something's working. Yeah, yeah. I meant to ask you a question. I kind of moved forward, and let let me backtrack for a minute. Um, You know, when you lost the deal, you know, you're talking about the New Line Cinema and everything. So what's the pick up the ball and recover? I mean, where do you go after you you have this deal on the table and everything is about to, you know, as I like to say, snap, crackle, and pop. And then right, you're like, right. I don't even have a fizz now. Wait, well, where, what do I do? What, what does Pam do when that happens? Well, I mean, not – this is a classic case of I wish I had known then, you know, what I know now. But kind of just got lost in the, the push and pull of people and listened to some poor advice and – um I got hooked up with a um, a literary agent who had me pay an editor, which is not really how things are supposed to work. It happened to be a friend of hers, and you know, I spent a lot of money um, trying to whip, trying to turn it into a a, a a book then, and just got very very frustrated and spent all this money and nothing came of it. So. I just walked away from that entirely. And I did, however, continue to write screenplays. I've optioned a few things on and off over the years, um, nothing that's been produced. But I did go back to directing television commercials and then also like being a, a freelance producer for a couple of ad agencies um, and, and, and started another novel and was writing short stories. So, you know, just kind of went back to what I was doing when I first got there. Okay. Okay. And, and you said there's a, um, a follow-up or book to this one? Yeah, I've, I'm, I've just started a, a sequel to, okay. to Charlotte because a lot of people say to me, well, where did she go from there? Okay. You know, now what? And um, fortunately, she comes back when she needs to. <laughs> I need her to tell me what, what, you know, where am I going from here? What's going to happen next? So I still get to play with my imaginary friends. Okay. okay. And nobody tries to put you in the hospital for it either. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they're afraid of me. <laughs> now, um, on your website, uh, you've got some wonderful things going on. Uh, one of them I noticed was uh, Charlotte's Army. What, what is that all about? 
Well, that's the street team, um, which I would like to certainly grow. But the, <laughs> the Charlotte Army is a group of people. Um, they're all over the place that are really excited about the book and are willing to um, share the news about it among in their social media, among their friends, fire up some book clubs, go to bookstores, um, you know, with postcards and say, you know, would you carry this book, like independent bookstores, um, just people who really have strong feelings about the book that want to know how they can help get the word out. Okay. And so they email me, and depending on how much time they have and what they want to do, what they're comfortable doing, I give them the tools and, and off they go. Okay. Okay. Now, I also noticed you have like this uh, social media campaign thing going on, the hashtag Charlotte. Yes. What, what's that? <laughs> well, I encourage people to um, like the, the, the heels snapping off okay. or every day I see funny things and I, I totally forget to do it myself. But things that are Charlotte moments, like, you know, dropping the birthday cake, you know, tripping when you're carrying the cake and then it, you know, it goes all over everything. Those are all Charlotte moments. So what I encourage people to do is snap a picture with their cell phone and post it to Instagram with hashtag Charlotte moment. And that will instantly in real time pop up on the homepage of my website under the Charlotte moments banner. Awesome. I like that. Yeah. And then I, I, I try once a month, you know, sometimes I don't, everybody's busy and I think people forget about doing the hashtag Charlotte moment because Charlotte moments are not pleasant. So really the, you're not like the first thing in your mind is an, Oh, <laughs> let me, let take, me a, take a picture. <laughs> this is so cute. You know, it's usually shit. I need a mop and a bucket. Um, but, um, I send little, little goody little things to the people with the, I like to think of it as the funniest or the best or the worst, depending on your perspective, Charlotte mm-hmm. moment each month. So, and I do get, my mom told me a story, and this is probably a lot of this stuff is where way back in my subconscious, Charlotte was born. But when my mom was really, really young, I think she was like 16 years old, she was at a dance. And they were very, very poor. And her underwear had really used elastic. And so she, um, nylon, I think, had been rationed or she couldn't afford nylon, so whatever. She was a date with, on a date with this young boy. They were at a dance. They were having a great time. And she said she felt, oh, God, no. And oh, could no, feel no. the underpants slipping down. And she didn't know what to do. And he was such a great dancer, and she was just mortified. So as they felt, you know, she sort of steered him sort of toward the edge of the room where the tables were. And her underpants fell off, and she kicked them under the table, and they kept dancing like nothing had happened. <laughs> that's right. Go, Mom. Go, And that's like mom. the original Charlotte moment, though, your <laughs> underwear falling out off on a date, and not in a good way. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, I mean, to be young and have that kind of like, you know what, let me make this happen no matter what. I'm going to make yeah. it out of that, you know, uh that's a powerful little lady right there. <laughs> yeah, anyways, we, I mean, now in my, you know, maturity, um, stuff like that happens, and I do just laugh about it. And I would probably even say, oh, my God, I can't believe this. But when you're such a young girl, you know, you yeah. blow these things up. It's <laughs> <Such> monumental proportions. <laughs> and I'm not coming out the house for the next month. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I'm just, 
everybody at school's going to know. <laughs> yep, exactly right. So. Awesome. So you're back in uh, Wisconsin now from Los Angeles for 20 years. Now, uh, real quick before we go, what is the biggest change that you had to get used to um, being back home at Wisconsin? The food. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. New York and Los Angeles, you know, I I can eat my share of food for me and somebody else. So I always enjoy my my dining out in Los Angeles and New York. So I, I can understand that. I can understand that. And well, I'm assuming here. the weather, too, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, well, that, yeah. I mean, how could I forget that? Yes. Okay, that, sorry. Erase the first thing I said. <laughs> Number one, winter. Hello. <laughs> It's brutal. It's brutal. And I, we now have an intense and vibrant, robust foodie community and amazing restaurants. But if you don't want to make it like a big event, like going out for this really great farm to table or, you know, uh-huh. and you just want to go like down the street and have, you know, in LA, you could still have like a really healthy salad or a piece of grilled fish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here, hello, it's, <laughs> it's going to be deep fried. Well, it will be <laughs> breaded, deep fried, and served with a nice hollandaise on the side. I mean, it's <laughs> heart attack waiting to happen. <laughs> it is the brats and the beer and the cheese and the fried. Oh God! But these are my peeps. That's so good, though. So good. So good, though. So, Pam, uh, tell us before we go, how do people um, pick up a copy of the book and get in touch with you? Because you also have a book club if people want to, you know, get you uh, in on that. Oh, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I do a lot of Skype uh, book clubs all over the country. And I, I just very quickly have to say I love book clubs. Um, book signings and stuff are great, but that's like a sales job. Those are people who haven't read the book. I love getting with a bunch of people who have read the book because they teach me about things I didn't even realize maybe was in there between the lines. And that's okay. so helpful to me in thinking about the follow-up book, the, the oh, sequel. Um, they, the book is available at Amazon.com, at BarnesandNoble.com, tons of independent booksellers. Um, um, so that's how you can find the book. And then my website is PamFerderbar.com, and Ferderbar is F-E-R-D-E-R-B-A-R. And I now blog for Huffington Post. So there's a link to my Huffington Post blog on my website. There's a way if you want to do a book club, you can get discounts through the publisher. For the books, I'd be happy to Skype into your book club if you're anywhere near Wisconsin, <laughs> southeastern Wisconsin. I might even show up and drink some of your wine. Um, <laughs> there's just there's all kinds of fun stuff on the website, really fun stuff. Awesome. And everybody get their cell phones out and uh, take some fam- uh, pictures and hashtag yeah. Charlotte Moment. There, there we and go. And post it to Instagram, and it will automatically pop up on my website. And you never know. I might contact you, and you might get kind of a, a cool little feng shui swag. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are at the end of the hour here. I've had such a good time. My guest today has been Pam. Ferdemar, stop by and uh, visit her website, pick up the book, get you some feng shui, hashtag Charlotte Moment, all of that. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember, when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week. Mm